Our scripture lesson is taken from the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, page 1380 in the Pew Bible. Page 1380, Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then they would not have ceased to be offered. The worshiper, once purged, would have no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that by the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offering and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By that will we have seen sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us that, for after he had said that before, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who punished is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy who have trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of covenant, the covenant by which He was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. 
And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days in which you were illuminated. You endured great struggle and suffering with suffering, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. As far as the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it in conjunction with it. I invite you to look at the Heidelberg Catechism on page 886 in the back of the Trinity Psalter hymnal, Lord's Day. 30, Lord's Day 30, page 886. How does the Lord's Supper differ from the Roman Catholic Mass? The Lord's Supper declares to us that all our sins are completely forgiven through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which he himself accomplished on the cross once for all. It also declares to us that the Holy Spirit grafts us into Christ who, with his true body, is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father, where he wants us to worship him. But the Mass teaches that the living and the dead do not have their sins forgiven through the suffering of Christ, unless Christ is still offered for them daily by the priests. It also teaches that Christ is bodily present under the form of the bread and wine, where Christ is therefore to be worshipped. Thus, the Mass is basically nothing but a denial of the one sacrifice and suffering of Jesus Christ and a condemnable idolatry. Who should come to the Lord's table? Those who are displeased with themselves because of their sins, but who nevertheless trust that their sins are pardoned and that their remaining weakness is covered by the suffering and death of Christ, and who also desire more and more to strengthen their faith and to lead a better life. Hypocrites and those who are unrepentant, however, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Should those be admitted to the Lord's Supper who show by what they profess and how they live that they are unbelieving and ungodly? No, that would dishonor God's covenant and bring down God's wrath upon the entire congregation. Therefore, according to the instruction of Christ and his apostles, the Christian church is duty-bound to exclude such people by the official use of the keys of the kingdom until they reform their lives. Beloved of the Lord, a number of weeks ago, the catechism asked the question, where does faith come from? And the answer was that faith is produced in our hearts by the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the Holy Gospel and confirmed through the use of the Holy Sacraments. There, not only the gospel, but the sacraments are described as being holy. That is, something set apart from common use. They are special. Uh, baptism is a washing and a cleansing, but it's not like the ordinary cleansings that we engage in every day, taking showers or baths or washing our hands or whatever. 
It's a holy cleansing. It's a different kind of cleansing set apart for the special service of God. And the Lord's Supper is a meal, but it's a special meal set apart. It's, it's not for uh, sustaining us physically. It is, uh, has, serves a higher purpose. It's a meal at which uh, Christ is the host and uh, where he feeds us on his crucified body and shed blood, uh, which we partake of through faith. And so it's, it's holy. The sacraments are holy. Well, tonight I want to talk to you about keeping the Lord's Supper holy, by which I mean observing the Lord's Supper as it was meant uh, to be observed as Christ uh, instituted. And uh, there, following the outline of the Catechism, there are four things that I want to uh, set before you as uh, something that we can do to keep the Lord's Supper holy through an oversight of mine. Only three of them got in the bulletin. It was nobody's fault but my own. But uh, there's four things that I want to bring before you. The, uh, the fourth one dealing with the last uh, question and answer of the, of the catechism here. But first of all, uh, we keep the Lord's Supper holy by focusing on Christ's once-for-all sacrifice for our sins. The once-for-all character of Christ's sacrifice for our sins. Now... Lord's Day uh, uh, 30, question and answer 80, is, uh, deals with the Roman Catholic Mass and uh, the once-for-all character of the Lord, uh, Lord's death, which is uh, contradicted by the Roman Catholic Mass. And uh, many find this one question particularly offensive. In fact, some uh, Reformed denominations that subscribe to the three forms of unity have actually made this question, question 80, optional. That is, uh, when uh, ministers and officers subscribe, they don't have to, if they don't want to, uh, subscribe to question and answer 80. Uh, in our relativistic age, it's considered uh, bad form to be so critical of other people in Christendom as to call what they do a condemnable idolatry. And because of that language, uh, is not in keeping with the spirit of the age. Uh, some take, uh, some in the reform camp take offense and say, uh, we shouldn't be saying this about nice Catholic uh, people. So, uh, uh, what's it all about? Well, in the, uh, first, first of all, with regard to criticizing people, we ought to remember that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. He, he sees people who are doing things that they ought not to be doing, and he, he sometimes deals with them with painful discipline. All discipline, in fact, is painful, says Hebrews 12, but uh, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness, or the fruit of righteousness and peace. And uh, we are also called uh, in our various relationships to admonish one another and encourage one another. And so speaking critically about something that other people are doing isn't isn't motivated by hatred, at least it ought not to be motivated by hatred or contempt contempt or scorn or said in pride and arrogance that we're so much better, but is an attempt to lovingly correct and uh, rebuke those for their good, uh, for their edification. But now, uh, the Bible is quite clear that 
that Christ died once for all. We read it in Hebrews 10, verses 10 to 14. Uh, having been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, verse 10. And then uh, verse 11, uh, Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. And again, verse 14, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Christ's one sacrifice on the cross is enough to pay for all your sins, past, present, and future, and for all the past, present, and future sins of anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord in true faith. But the Roman Catholic Mass is defined as a repetition of the sacrifice of Christ. They don't have communion tables in Catholic churches. They have altars. And altars are places where sacrifices are performed. And that uh, that puts a great focus uh, in the worship service on what the priest is doing. The church also says that the way that you get Christ is from the hands of the priest who uh, copies Christ in sacrificing Christ again on the altar, uh, taking the bread and wine and making it into his flesh and blood, even though it retains the properties of bread and wine. Uh, that that puts the, the focus there on what the priest is doing and uh, upon a repetition of Christ's sacrifice as if the, what Christ did on the cross isn't enough. If you're going to get Christ, you need to get it from the priest. You need to get it when he uh, makes Christ's body and blood uh, through the consecration of the elements and uh, which is a repetition of Christ's sacrifice. And so, you know, they say, yeah, we believe in Christ, and we believe that Christ died for our sins, but uh, that doesn't benefit us unless it happens again and again and again every time the Mass is performed. Uh, we keep the Lord's Supper holy by remembering that Christ died once and for all, and that uh, what we do, we do in remembrance of him, not in imitation of him or as a repetition of what he did. That's one way to keep the Lord's Day, the Lord's Supper holy, by keeping the focus on Christ's finished work, his once for all sacrifice. But then secondly, we can, we can keep it holy by focusing our worship on Christ in heaven. Because the Roman Catholic Church teaches that Christ is uh, physically present in the Mass, they require worshipers to kneel before the elements when they are consecrated. That is, when the, the priest says, this is my body, with the last syllable of the word body, the miracle of uh, transubstantiation that I explained last week is uh, performed. And uh, Christ is physically present, and because Christ is physically present, you better get down on your knees in front of Christ's physical presence. Uh, you honor him, you worship him locally as he is found in the hands of the priest. And uh, because you are worshiping material substance, uh, the Bible says uh, that's idolatry. You know, Christ doesn't want, God never wanted to be worshipped by anything uh, physical. Uh, he wanted to uh, be worshipped as a spirit. You know, his, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, they built a throne for God called the uh, the Ark of the Covenant. 
And uh, the cherubim spread their wings out over the Ark of the Covenant. And on the Ark was the mercy seat, which was God's throne. And on God's throne, was there a physical image of God? No, there was not. There was empty space. (laughs) Because God cannot be physically represented. He doesn't want to be worshipped under uh, the guise of something physical. Christ uh, became flesh. God did become flesh and worshipped among us, uh, lived among us. And when he was physically present, it was proper to bow down and worship him. But now he is in heaven. And uh, therefore we are to worship him, not on earth, but in heaven. The, uh, the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12 says that when you worship, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. That's where our worship is directed. Right now, our worship is being sent upward. You know, it's, it's rising up through Jesus Christ, sanctified by Jesus Christ, made acceptable to God. When we sing, our voices go up to heaven and our voices join with the, the choirs that are in heaven surrounding God's throne. That's where we're directed to worship. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all the earth, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That's where our worship goes. That's where uh, Jesus said to uh, the Samaritan woman, not on this mountain, not on, not in Jerusalem, but my Father wants to be worshipped in spirit. Uh, no place on earth is the proper focus of our worship. We can worship anywhere. We don't need a building to do it. Uh, we can worship anywhere because our worship is directed to the heavenly Jerusalem. And to the temple that is there, the temple which will one day come down and, and fill the earth, but it's not here yet. The, uh, Paul in Colossians 3 says, Seek those things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. The Roman Catholic Mass says, Focus on this that is on earth. Here, Christ is right in front of you. Focus on that. He said, no, our worship is focused on Christ in heaven. Christ has promised to be with us uh, now, but in a way that the world cannot see. Our eyes see him only by faith. Uh, the Spirit is, uh, is present in our hearts, assuring us that uh, God is with us, but uh, physically he is not here. Therefore, we keep the Lord's Supper holy, not only by focusing on the once-for-all character of Christ's death, and uh, but also by focusing our worship on uh, Christ and the Father in heaven, and not anything that we see with our eyes. But then we can also keep the Lord's Supper holy by participating in humble faith. And here I have in mind the second question and answer of our catechism that says, who, should, who may come? And really the gospel tells us who may come. Uh, the gospel does two things for us. The gospel uh, is the instrument by which we are born again. You have been born again through the living 
preaching of God's word. And the Holy Spirit uses the word to bring you to new life. That's one thing that the gospel does. And another thing that the gospel does is it feeds and nourishes that life. Now, these two things are represented by the two sacraments. Uh, baptism is a sacrament of initiation that uh, represents the initial washing and renewal and regeneration of the Holy Spirit that is accomplished when the Spirit is accompanied by the Word and we are born again. Uh, in, bat- in, in our new birth, we are passive. God gives us that new birth. He doesn't give it to us because uh, we've earned it or deserved it or even asked for it. Uh, he gives it sovereignly, uh, uh, almost against our will, uh, not uh, because of our will. Uh, we, uh, we fight him all the way. We, we kick against the goads, as uh, the Apostle Paul did before he was converted. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, said he was dragged kicking and screaming into the, the kingdom. He, he didn't want to be a Christian, but... God was sovereign and God uh, uh, gives us the new birth. And uh, in baptism, again, we are passive. Baptism is something that God does. He does it uh, sovereignly, uh, giving us his promises and giving us his sign that we are mem- made, have been made members of his covenant. But the Lord's Supper uh, represents the nourishing work of the gospel in which we are not passive. Uh, we have to be active hearers, and we need to uh, to listen and to learn and to take to heart, to heed the words of the gospel and to abide in that word by uh, seeking to uh, keep Christ's commandments. And uh, that is uh, in, that is illustrated in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, where you have to reach out and take the elements and and put them into yourself so that they become part of you. Uh, that's uh, reaching out for the Word, reaching out for Christ, and seeking to internalize His Word as you internalize internalize those uh, elements. The Lord's Supper points to our uh, need for continual nourishment from the, the Word, a work of God in which we are active and uh, active through the exercise of faith. Uh, we uh, have been uh, considering in... Uh, John chapter 6, and also in the Catechism, how it is that we eat the flesh and drink the blood of Jesus Christ, and we do that by receiving him with a believing heart. If you believe, you have eaten. And uh, therefore, the Lord's Supper is some, is an exercise, uh, participation in the Lord's Supper is an exercise of faith. And therefore, proper Participation is by those who exercise faith. Those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, ought to come to the Lord's Supper in response to his command to do this in remembrance of him. They ought to come in faith, uh, a faith in which they are displeased with themselves because of their sin, a faith in which you Trust that your sins are pardoned for the sake of Christ, a faith that strives uh, for a better life, strives for greater sanctification. You know, I think if I were to ask you, uh, do you want to be sanctified? Do you want a better Christian life? Do you, do you want uh, uh, to, to grow in your faith? I, I trust, I hope that most of you would say yes. 
And then if I were to also ask you, well, do you like change? Well, you know, that question uh, stirs up all kinds of feelings. Do I like change? No, I, I like my life. The, I like the comfortable patterns of my life. Most of us don't like change. Well, if you're going to grow in faith, you're going to have to change. And you're going to have to ask God, God, help me to overcome my uh, sense of comfort uh, that I enjoy. Help me to be willing to accept change so that I can grow in my faith. But if your faith is one in which you are displeased with yourself, one in which you believe that Christ has paid for your sins, one in which you desire to to grow and to change, then indeed you ought to come with boldness to his throne of grace and partake in the the covenant meal. Uh, Some have uh, tried to argue that uh, infants ought to partake of the Lord's Supper. Uh, This is sometimes called uh, paedo-communion, paedo being a Greek word for infant. Uh, We are paedo-baptists, we believe in infant baptism, but there are some who believe in paedo-communion. And uh, I have a a book at home that uh, advocates that, and the author says uh, quite openly that, of course, this will require a new definition of faith. He recognizes that participation is an act of faith, that you need active faith in order to rightly participate in the Lord's Supper. And since he believes infants uh, ought to participate, he says uh, infants are capable of faith. But then he says, of course, that means a new definition of faith. And I, I read that. Uh, I thought that was a bold admission on his part, that he says uh, it requires a new definition of faith. And so I read the rest of the book with interest to see what his new definition of faith was. And he never gave it. And uh, the most, uh, the closest he came was to uh, make uh, two references in the Bible to John the Baptist uh, leaping in the womb of uh, his mother Elizabeth at the sound of Mary's voice. He said uh, that was an act of faith on the part of the unborn John the Baptist, that he uh, leaped in uh, his mother's womb. Uh, I think that's a bit of a stretch to say that uh, that was the case. It's more likely that uh, God caused uh, the baby to leap within the womb at the sound of Mary's voice to uh, alert Elizabeth also to the significance of the event and Mary and us, but uh, it wasn't a conscious exercise of faith on John the Baptist's part. But then also he quotes uh, Psalm 22, verse 9, where the psalmist says to God, uh, you uh, took me from the womb and you you made me trust you at my mother's breast. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. In other words, the psalmist is saying that I learned to trust you even when I was a nursing infant. And he says that's that's an example of infant faith. Well, Psalm 104 and Psalm 145 talk about how uh, the beasts of the field look to God for their food. Uh, they trust God and, and uh, cry out to God for their food. Would we say that these animals have saving faith? And then Psalm 145 talks about how the the hills and the trees uh, praise God 
shall we say, that hills and trees have faith because uh, they offer up praise to God. Uh, When you reduce faith to some kind of instinctive, unconscious behavior, then indeed you have changed the definition of faith far beyond anything that the Bible uh, understands when it says, uh, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. No, we think that those ought to come to the Lord's Supper who make a credible profession of faith. But now, must that faith be strong faith? Must it be mature faith? Uh, what do you think? What kind of faith do you need in order to come to the Lord's Supper? Well, let's remember the first Lord's Supper. To whom did Jesus give the first bread and wine, saying, this is my body, which is for you, and this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is for you, drink of it, all of you. To whom did he say that? Well, he said it to a room full of disciples, who included not only Judas Iscariot, who wasn't even a true believer, but he said it to people who, just a few hours later, when they see Jesus arrested, would run away in shame and disgrace. You know, Jesus said that night, you're all going to betray me. Uh, and then Peter, of course, said, I'll never date others will, but I never will. And then he said, well, you're going to do it three times. But they all did it. They all ran away. They, they all denied him with their feet, running away in shame and disgrace. You know, there's that odd story uh, in, I think it's Mark's gospel, about the one disciple who was wearing only a... a uh, an outer garment and a soldier grabbed at it and caught his clothing and the guy ran away anyway uh, stark naked what, why is that story in the Bible well it's about uh, public nakedness in the Bible is always a source of shame and disgrace and this unnamed disciple who can represent all of the disciples because we don't know which one it was uh, is running away shamed and disgraced and he stands for all of them who went, whether they were clothed or not were running away in shame and disgrace because they had denied their Lord were they people of strong faith no they were not strong at all and even when Christ, uh, uh, the women came back from the tomb and, and said that, that Christ was raised, they still didn't believe, even though Christ had told them that, that he was going to be raised on the third day. You don't have to have a strong faith. In fact, the purpose is to, to come and feed on Christ so that you can be nourished and strengthened in your faith. You need only a humble faith, believing in your own sinfulness, believing that Christ paid for that sin with his death on the cross and being filled with the desire to change, to grow in your faith and become more Christ-like. But then there's one more thing that we can do to keep the Lord's Supper holy, and that's to warn the unbelieving and ungodly people to stay away for their own good, to prevent harm to them. The Lord is not pleased when hypocrites come to the Lord's Supper. People who say they want Jesus, but really don't, and who show by their lives that they don't believe in him. 
You know, there's a powerful uh, passage. Isaiah chapter 1 is a powerful passage because in it, God addresses Israel. He addresses Israel, his covenant people, and he calls them Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, when Isaiah prophesied, uh, it was about, I don't know, 13, 1400 years after Abraham's time and after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. So, when, when God addresses Israel as Sodom and Gomorrah, it's with the understanding that those people, so the real Sodom and Gomorrah is long gone, and now he's addressing his people as if they are as bad as that, uh, the, that ancient people who were destroyed uh, over a millennium earlier. And God says to them, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings, incense is an abomination to me. New moons and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Thus, those who show by their lives that they are unbelieving and ungodly, as the Israelites were doing at that time, cannot make up for it by participating in religious ceremonies and thinking that, well, if I participate in this religious ceremonies, that that uh, uh, counteracts the, the evil. Only those who who make a credible profession of faith ought to be admitted and come to the Lord's Supper. It's possible that uh, that you may fool the elders, but you can't fool God. If you are not serious about leading a godly life, if you are not trying to put to death your sinful nature, if you're not trying to obey all Christ's commandments, and don't think you can fool God by observing religious ceremonies. Instead, humbly repent of your sinful life. Pray for the grace and strength to begin a new life. And then come in humble faith to obey Christ's command. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Lord's Supper. We thank you that it is given to feed and nourish our lives. Help us, O Father, to focus in the Lord's Supper on remembering the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ. Help us to offer our worship to him in heaven. Help us to come in humble faith before you and uh, to uh, turn away from all hypocrisy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.